Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. Please join me as we start liberating dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Sessions. And this week, we have something very yummy in store for you. With us today is Agatha Achindu of Yummy Spoonfuls. And Agatha, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here and to talk through you to your listeners. Oh, we are so excited to hear what you have to say. And you, there's really a unique story behind Yummy Spoonfuls. So why don't you just share with us a little bit about the company and the background before we get started on all my questions? <laughs> Thank you so much. Of course. Whenever somebody asks me about Yummy Spoonfuls, I come from a very unique angle to answer this question. I come from my why. Yes. Why I decided to risk everything to launch this company in 2006. So I moved to the United States in, I think, 1990. And please, no, but don't ask me how old I am. But <laughs> <laughs> that's when I moved here. And I, as a kid growing up, looking at all the glossy magazines and all these beautiful things, the one, there was nothing that was more important than coming to the United States. Hmm. When I got here... And Agatha, you came from Cameroon, right? Yes. Okay. I, I came from Cameroon, but I actually came from Canada. So I left Cameroon, went to college in Canada, and then left and came to the United States. Okay. But coming to America, it's, it sounds like it's a movie to me. Like I'm talking about the coming to America movie. Uh, but that was... <laughs> I love that, that movie. Was, <laughs> I know. That was just... That dream in my head, like big cars, big buildings, big houses, everything was nicer in America mm -hmm. until I got here. Uh -uh. And then I realized food was in cans. I had never, the only thing in my mind that I can remember that I saw in cans as a kid growing up was sardines and tomato. Mm -hmm. That was it. Yeah. When I came here, I went to the grocery store. Hours and hours and hours and hours, and they had things in can, like fresh corn in can, peas. And when I would open it, yeah, <laughs> it smelled so offensive. <laughs> I couldn't yeah. bring myself to eat it. That was that journey for me in trying to change how we eat in America. Mm -hmm. But initially, it was more about me making food for. My friends who are adults in college, changing, helping them change recipes. You like fried chicken. I'm like, okay, let's make it. We can make it at home. You can even bake it if you don't want fried, but you don't need to buy the one that has 60 ingredients in it. And that was that journey. Then I got pregnant. With Jay-Z? Really was that Jay-Z? Jay-Z is actually our youngest. Uh-huh. Okay, okay. He is, I love that he you named actually, him Jay-Z. Yeah, go ahead. Now, his name, it's so funny. His name is actually Jared Zane. Uh, much better. Much <laughs> yes, better. I love and, it. And we, we just call him Jay-Z. And you would <laughs> see his face every time when somebody's like, Jay-Z, like the 
artist, he's yeah. like, no, like Jared Zane. Yes, I love that response. <laughs> Good for him. He knows who he is already. That's right. Anyway, I didn't mean so, to interrupt you. Go ahead. So with your first child, yeah. At that point, I remember when I was pregnant, for the first time in this space in America, I started looking into the market to see what was there. Because at this point, I'm in corporate America. I'm busy. I know yeah. I wouldn't really have time to do to be making food. So I'm like, let me just find a good company that actually is making food like I do at home. And there was nothing in the market, which was, you know, it was like, well, okay. I just knew I was going to make his food. Yeah. And when I gave birth, I I would make I made everything. And I started teaching moms around the area on how to make food. I'm just like, you know what? You can make this and this is what you need to do and how. And that little group grew to about 300 moms. Oh my goodness, were they coming to your kitchen or what happened? How did you? Girl, that is a whole different story (laughs) if I tell you because (laughs) on the weekends, on the weekends, I would have, so sometimes we would have workshops in Uh a clubhouse or in somebody's house. But on the weekends, my husband would play soccer, Saturdays and Sundays. It depends on the weather. That's his thing that he used to do. He would go out for soccer and sports. But on Saturdays, people would come and I would make a batch and everybody would take our subdivision where we live. It's just six houses where we used to live back then. Right. And I remember one weekend, it rained so hard, judges didn't go out. So he cars just kept coming in and, and he was looking at me like, what the hell was going on? <laughs> and he is in our neighborhood then. We were the only, again, it's just six homes. So we're the only black people there. And he told me that they would think that we we're selling crack or something crazy. <laughs> because... <laughs> oh, what a great story. So for years, for a couple of years, this is what I did. I remember okay. going to a local hospital that, oh, I want to, I want to teach a workshop. And they're like, oh, what's your business and this? I said, I don't have a business. I'm just a mom on a mission. I'm a frustrated mom who wants to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And I remember at Fulton Regional Hospital, the first workshop that we had there, the very first, I think it was 60 moms, who showed up wanting to learn how to make baby food. The one thing that I realized that even when I teach them how to make something, the next time we have a workshop, the same people will come over. Oh, interesting. And, they weren't taking yeah. notes. <laughs> yeah. No, I realized it was the convenience. Sure. Because they'll be like, well, when I go home, I make the same food. I, Agatha, I'm telling you, you, my baby love, when you cook more than when I cook. And it just, it finally hit me. It's the convenience that they can have this quality of food for their child without having to do it themselves so then the question in my mind is like okay why is nobody making food just like this with nothing else added to it just like moms a lot of moms 40 percent of moms make homemade baby food Mm -hmm. i said why is nobody this is a huge market why is nobody doing it to make food fresh 
using wholesome ingredients that's free of harmful toxins and immediately freeze it because there is no mom at home who pasteurizes their food for their baby and put it on the shelf. We all cook and we freeze it. Right. Why was nobody doing it? So in 2006, I, in September 2006, I launched Yummy Spoonfuls. And, and let me, just, let me that, just ask you a question real quick. Sorry to interrupt. Sure. Why was nobody doing it? Did you ever get to the bottom of it? Was it just people didn't think the market existed? They didn't have the information you had in seeing droves of women come to the hospital to learn from you? What, what do you think was keeping a you know, big company from, from taking this on at the time? So to be quite honest, That's what I would we want say, from you, Agatha, I, honesty. <laughs> I really... It's not something I didn't figure that part out until later in the game. I just knew that somebody needed to do something. And that somebody, it's me today. I am the change that I want to see. So I'm like, I'm going to step into it. Because just coming from another food culture and seeing the things that was happening here, it was easy for me to see because I didn't grow up in here. So knowing that even the recurring, running noses, ear infections, there was all these things that were happening that I, as somebody with a nutrition background, but most importantly, someone who came from a third world country, mm. that we don't even have half, what am I talking about half? The, the medical expertise that we have in America is nothing in, in Cameroon that we can compare it with. Sure. But the one thing that I knew was that I had never seen sick babies in my life like I see in America, coming from a world where there was no medical expertise. So your roots, your African roots, your yes. what you saw growing up, the access to um, not just the homemade food, but just the, I would say, the amount of vegetation that was included in this kind of food. Because, it, you know, we somebody could make homemade potato chips, but that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about great food, food that was good for our bodies, food that was healing our bodies in advance of our bodies ever getting sick. And that women weren't having access to this kind of food in the United States. So it was really, I mean, what I love about your story is, and you nailed it when you said, because I came from a different culture, I saw the disparity. You saw the difference when you were walking through the aisles of our markets. Whereas if you're raised here, it's all you know, right? And so it took That's you true. in particular to be able to do this. I also love that often we hear people talk about what's your passion when they say, what do I want to do when I want to start a business? And what you did is you just pursued, you pursued something that you loved and that was important to you. And you didn't, there was no end game in mind. And as a result, you were able to see what the market wanted and you were able to then jump on the opportunity, but you didn't launch a business you launched a, a movement, a way of changing the way women fed their children. And from it came the business. And I think that's a really important lesson for a lot of our listeners who can sometimes be frustrated with, I want to start a business, but I don't know what I want to start. And you took your heritage, your roots, what you knew about food. You took your um, 
information as a frustrated mother and married all these things together to find a market that wasn't satiated and and needed to be satisfied in a new way. So I I love that. I think that's so unique to most of the stories that we hear. Thank you so much. And you know what's so funny? Yeah. You actually just nailed it because I tell people all the time that I didn't find my business. My business mm. found me. Yeah. All I wanted to do was make a difference because I I just knew that there is no child who doesn't want to feel great. There is no parent who doesn't want to give their baby their best, whatever their best is. But we are only as good as what we know. Sure. So you, you, you have kids who, there would be a parent who goes like, oh my goodness, my child would never eat veggies. My child would never because they don't like the taste. And I'm like, you know, let me just help you. Let's, let's make something fresh and see if they'll eat it. And we would whip up fresh peas, and this baby would eat, and this lady's all over. <laughs> oh, my goodness, I cannot believe you. Your hands are magical. I'm like, no, ma'am. It's kids, just like adults, also have taste. Yeah. If yeah. you give them something that's vibrating with life, that tastes delicious, they are going to love it. Yeah. I actually, I actually do think the magic was in your hands though, because it's the, (laughs) I'm being serious and I'll tell you why there's something about when you come from another, whatever, another culture, another, another paradigm, even, even within the same culture, there's something about influencing people with, it's not just the knowledge. Like you said, you were giving people the recipes and yet they came back to you. There was something about you. There was something about your story that was infusing them with almost like an energy to feed their kids in a different way. You were teaching them uh, something that they didn't know. And in that, it, it doesn't, it's not actually magic, but it is magical that they are able to experience that through you. And even in listening to you talk and hearing how passionate you are, who wouldn't want to learn from you? You had nothing to gain. You weren't selling anything. When you first started, you were just passionate about this. And that and, is magical. And I think, thank you so much, but I think that was the difference. Mm-hmm. And I think till this day, it is the reason that parents believe in me sure. and trust in me. Because I never, when I walked into this space, all I wanted to do was help them understand and connect the food they are feeding their kids and the way their children feel. Sure. It was never about money. It was just like, well, this is my child. This is my own kids. We don't have these issues. And this is what's working for me. I'm ready to share it with you. If you want to listen, it might work for you. And slowly it's working for you. And that little, I remember when I opened my Instagram page, uh-uh. I remember when yeah. it was 300 moms. Uh-huh. Then I remember when it was 15,000 moms. I remember when it was 30,000 moms, when it was 40,000 moms. And this was, it's not me going out doing advertisement or anything. Sure. Just me talking to moms and saying, you know what? We can do this. We can, we can, it doesn't matter where you are. We can start today. We can change 
how you believe you want to feed your kids. Whatever it is that you think it's healthy, I can help you crowd the bad stuff out and start bringing the good stuff in. Yeah. Yeah. What I love about everything you just said is it comes from the most um, genuine place. But in, in fact, if every business took your advice in that one, just that what you just said right now, and it was never about the money, it was always about being able to serve these parents so they could serve their children great food. If every business started with it's all about the customer, satisfying the customer, creating something the customer actually needs. The money will come. And even in talking about your social media following, it wasn't about aggregating a huge community so you could say, hey, look at my huge community. It was people being attracted to you because you actually were offering them something that they needed. And so your story reads like a 101, you know, business basics um, in, in how, how to, how to launch a concept or an idea. Let me ask you, I think a question you talked about tinkering in your own kitchen with this, I imagine a cul-de-sac of six homes and people were coming over and it just kept growing and growing. Do you think a large part of your early success was just the word of mouth kind of campaign, even before you launched the brand? I think a large part of my success even after I launched the brand. So 2006, 2007, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, it's still word of mouth. So you it, didn't really do any formal advertising during those years? No, I never wow. did. And, but let me tell you something that till this day blows my mind. Heard. Yeah, tell me. Bring it. I, remem I remember when we got into Whole Foods Market uh -huh. in the Southeastern region. It wasn't nationwide. In the Southeastern region, I think it was 2009. And the first delivery that we did for this store, I think it was the Whole Foods on, um, oh, I can't remember the name, this particular Whole Foods in Atlanta, in Brightleaf. Mm -hmm. We had delivered 38 cases. I know it doesn't sound like a big deal, but for a small business, when you're making things by hand and you deliver to seven stores and you deliver 36 cases of food in seven stores, then you get a call in two days that they are out of products. I love it. <laughs> I love that story. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I started crying. Yeah. And my husband, Judges, is looking at me and he's going like, what's going on? <laughs> and I'm just like, it took four days to make the food. Yeah. Oh, you know? Yeah. But that's how successful we were. Because people were just waiting. Friends are telling, it's like, oh my, it's here, it's there. It's always been word of mouth. Do you also think because it was in Whole Foods, let's take that example. So even the people that didn't know about it, um, who ran, you know, were running down the, the children's food aisle, uh, were attracted to it because it was so unique to what was being offered at the time. So remember that my product is frozen. Mm -hmm. So it's not on the baby aisle. Mm -hmm. Somebody has to go out of their way to go find it. Well, that's a great way to collect data. You know that they've, they found you, I, that they had to go find yes. you. Uh, interesting. That's right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You did say the frozen part earlier. I missed that. You're right. Okay. 
So it really was word of mouth. People were coming into Whole Foods to buy this product. Yes. And how do you get into a Whole Foods when you're dealing with just a food brand in general and all the legal issues around food? Like, how did that happen? The story that I'm going to tell you is not fancy, (laughs) but this is my story. So when I decided that I wanted to go present, I wanted to go do my presentation over Whole Foods, I fasted for nine days and did a novena every day. I had contacted this lady out of Chicago. I said, you need to do a marketing presentation for me. And so she did this beautiful work with my why and why um, I believe um, Whole Foods should work with me and this. And then she did some... um, marketing analysis that she put the data and this with all the moms who are making food at home why this way of making food is going to just be perfect for whole foods market the day i walked into whole foods for the southeastern region i went to brentsville i think that's where it was and met with the the lady the the um sales manager mm-hmm I brought samples and she is, I took, I, it was carrots, sweet potato and broccoli. I think this was a stage two meal. And she started testing it. I hadn't even taken my laptop out. So she tested it and she screamed. She's like, oh my Lord. Then there was somebody walking down in the hallway and that person popped their head in and went, oh, what is it? She's like, oh, come and try this. She took it, another sample spoon and he tested the thing. He's like, wow, is this Italian ice? Because it was cold, right? Ah. And she's like, no, it's baby food. He's like, oh my God, we need <laughs> to bring this in. I didn't realize that that was their VP of sales for Whole Foods for the Southeastern region. That's how we got into Whole Foods. I honestly oh. didn't even do the presentation. I didn't pull my computer to even show the PowerPoint. You didn't it have was to. testing that product. Yeah. That was it. That was it. That's how we got into Whole Foods. Yes. That was it. Okay, I have a random question to ask you. Did you say you fasted for nine days? Yes, I did. Oh my, okay. I did in novena. And and did you have pizza when you got home from <laughs> fasting for nine days? <laughs> <laughs> I so, love that. I love that. I am a staunch Catholic. And I personally, I believe, if somebody is ever wondering, like, is there a God? I I am that mm. thing that you can look at and like, she is just God's grace because my whole life has been one miracle after the other. So, and that was that day. So when I fast, it's not, it's, I, I, I do eat, but I eat maybe once a day, depending sure. on what it is that I'm asking God for. And this was a <laughs> nine day fast and I did a novena. <laughs> For it, for nine days. And I walked in and they picked that product just from the product. I honestly didn't say anything. They tested the product and she happened to be a mother. She's like, I have never smelled or tested anything this fresh. And I said, yes, this is what we do because I cook from scratch and we freeze it the same way that every mom or dad in this United States, or grandparent, any parent who cooks, anybody who cooks sure. at home sure. for food for their babies, this is what they do. They cook it, they freeze it, 
and they defrost it and they feed the baby. There is no citric acid, there is no ascorbic acid, there is no artificial color. It's just real food. I, I, lo- I love the simplicity of the story. Do you know um, Laura Bars? There, it's a, yes, like, I do. Okay. Yes, you I do. Ha- listen I do. to her story because you your stories are so similar with the whole food Are start. you serious? Yeah, very limited ingredients. She, same thing, like, why is no one doing this? This is such a simple thing. You have to listen to her story. It's amazing. Um, you guys have to meet. We have to figure out how to get you guys to meet. Anyway, so what did you do before you launched this that you kind of understood something? something about business or what, what was your career? You said you went from a corporate career to doing this. Give us that background. So I worked in IT. I was the director of quality assurance for a software company called Agilisys. Mm-hmm. There was no business background. The, on, the only connection to me is quality because I was that person. Well, when my developers and QA personnel, they've done the code, I make sure that that code is perfect before we, we release it. That's the quality side. And which today is the same thing. Quality is quality. I don't care if it's in manufacturing. It doesn't matter. But there was no connection. The only thing I knew is that as a kid growing up, from day one, from, from when I started walking around, I know fresh, wholesome food from the ground up. And when I moved to this country, I stayed true to that roof. Yeah. Not and everybody does. Yeah. I have sisters. I, I mean, we're here from my parents, my direct siblings. Some of them are still into farm to table. Some of them are not. Sure. I just stayed on that path. And the more I got interested in, in nutrition, the more I dug deep into it, I realized that a lot of the issues that we're having is lifestyle. If sure. we can change, if we can change it, if we can just change some of these things, we can drastically change the way our kids feel, the way they look, just correct some, you know, that, that was and still is what wakes me up every day. Like if I can just convince this one mom without making them feel guilty, like, you know what, it's okay, but let's just, let's just tweak it right here. And you see how that works. Slowly, it dawns on them like, oh, my goodness. It's almost like they can't believe that it can come from food, that those things can cure whatever ails their child, that those things are the source of of something that can prevent um, a, a runny nose or whatever. It's like it's unbelievable that it's that basic. We, I think we've become a culture of prescriptions. And so we think that, no, we must see a doctor and that doctor must have the, the answer for whatever it is that, that ails us. And again, I think that you brought, um, you brought it back to basics. And I, I, I sort of am marveling at the timing for you because now, if you would have started this business now, it sounds like it's a familiar story. A lot of people are really looking to food and understanding from a food culture and a kind of more holistic way of living and thinking. But you started before this trend. You were here long before this became sort of um, a thing. Yeah, a thing, and just kind of it's part of the zeitgeist now. It's like how we. It's 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 a it's a known. Um, 
entity or quantity, whereas I think you were there before. And so I wonder how did that affect you in terms of your sales? Did you start to see sales increase, not just from being around and, you know, more word of mouth and having stores like Whole Foods carry you, but did you start to see it because the trend was escalating and moving in that direction? Did you see jumps in sales because of that? No, I I don't think so. Not then, now, I think, Uh, but I want to say it might be like, like 2011, 12, 13, they jump wasn't that much because as crazy as this would sound, it's almost like there is a separation, even for the parents who, who have the best of intentions. It's, it's almost like there is a separation when we think about children's health and food. They don't connect. Mm. There is so much with all this trend, how everything is going towards wholesome food it was more towards adults because we were trying to immediately address an immediate problem. Like, oh, if you eat more healthy, you're going to feel better. You're going to do, it's more adults. Yeah. But for children, parents weren't quickly connecting it. Sure. And I think a lot of the trends was for adults was around weight and we don't have yes. those concerns with children. So it's shifted to be more, again, about living kind of a holistic, um, you know, whether it's farm to table because we're caring for the farmers or we're caring for the process or we're making sure that there's um, fairness along that cycle or if it's, you know, what it is we're putting in our body and what it is, and the way we want to now take care of ourselves and our families, it shifted very much from being just about weight and, and, and getting rid of, um, some of the foods, uh, that are prepackaged and, and tend to put on those extra pounds that seems to have shifted at least on the, in the, on the coastal, in the coastal cities. But I think even in middle America, we're seeing that shift quite a bit. That's right. That's right. It's shifting. And Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Cause I no, wanted no, no, to jump okay. on to all these years of, of running this business alone. At some point you decide in 2014, Hey, I think I'll bring on a partner. And that's not usual. Often people, as the business goes on, they'll bring out, they'll bring in more support or they'll bring in VCs who may take a piece of the company, but you actually brought on a 50, 50 partner. Tell us a little bit about why you did that and why you chose who you chose. I'll, I'll let you kind of announce who you chose. But what was that about? Uh, so initially, I, I wanted to bring funding. Mm-hmm. Then I wanted, I wanted to bring in passionate money. It's, it's a long story to even try to understand this. There was the whole thing about smart money. Sure. I didn't want smart money. I wanted passionate money. I wanted somebody who believes in the mission of this company that every child, regardless of access to money or whether they are from a rich family or poor family, every child deserves to eat this type of food. That was my number one priority. So I wanted to bring in the type of money that will support that in the long run because from experience, I've seen wonderful companies that when they bring in money, their core principle, their core mission changes. 
because they are trying to meet the needs of the investors and all that. So I was very particular about that. And for years, we started looking. I had a, a handful of really prominent, whether I was celebrity, whether I was business owners who came and wanted to invest in this company. And we would sit and we'll talk. And I look at my husband, I'm like, this is not it. That's not the one. Interesting. No. You just knew, for, you could tell in your yes. gut that this wasn't right. Yes, it really wasn't. And it was important to me because again, I just knew I didn't want this to be down the road. It's like, well, you know, we're going to make millions and millions if we just pasteurized it and sterilized. You know, this wasn't what Yummy Spoonfuls was all about. Sure. So in 2000, 2000. I think 2012, I can't remember, 2012, I had gone to a women's event and I was sampling food. This lady came in, Sarah Chapin, she tasted the product. She's like, oh my Lord, this is the best thing I've ever tasted. That, well, I don't have any kids, but I have some grandkids. I would let them try it and see. And so she was asking me, what's the hold up? You know, why are you not in like the Costco? And I said, you know, I can only manage at this point the Whole Foods and Amazon and Din and Deluca. I we just couldn't, the little wow. rented facility that we were using, we just couldn't grow. We couldn't make as much food as we were growing. So we had to just figure out how to slow down. And how many employees and did you have at that point? At that time, it was a total of six of us. Oh my word. Yes. And you were and in we Dean were, and DeLuca, Whole Foods, and yes. what? Amazon. And I'm at Amazon, yes. And we were, we were walking our head off. That's the nice way to put it. Yeah. Because every so often, <laughs> a celebrity would talk about the product and, you know, but anyway. Yeah, a big spike. Okay, so tell us about, so uh, how did you get to this partner? So this lady... Sarah went somewhere and somehow I got an email from Camilla and she's like, oh, I got your information from Sarah with Hail Mary and um, I would love to partner with you. And quite honestly, I didn't know who she was. So then I called Sarah asking her. I'm like, well, I got an email from, from, from... I got an email because, you know, you get these emails all the time. So all the way from African countries, like, oh, we want to partner. And, you know, so I looked. But because this person had mentioned Sarah, had mentioned Hail Mary, a company I knew. So I just knew this wasn't somebody random. And I'm like, well, um, somebody, Camila Alves just sent um, an email to me. This was, it might be 12 days, a few days later. And she's like, oh, are you sitting down? I'm like, yeah, what's up? She's like, oh, that's Matthew McConaughey's wife. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, let me go respond to her. So I went back and I responded, you know. But when we met, when we sat down, when I went, I flew to California and we sat down and we were talking. And she's talking about how she grew up, you know. I honestly... She was sounding. She was literally telling my story. Wow. Just happening for me different. How she grew up. And I looked at her like this as the weirdest thing. I'm just like, you sound, your, 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 your story growing up is my story. Running around barefooted, eating mangoes from the tree, harvesting this from the backyard, not being exposed to processed food. This is how we grow up. So it just, we just looked at each other and we shook hands. 
that was it. Wow. That was how she became my business partner. That's a great story. And I love that you were slow to search the right partner, to find the right partner. Um, I heard something recently and it said, um, what's one ship that never leaves, uh, never leaves the, never set sail, a partnership. <laughs> and it's, I think, <laughs> and I think it's because people don't take the time to really find not just somebody they love and want to work with that, that happens usually a lot. It starts with friendships or family or whatever, but to find people that can really be of one mind, share core values, but bring different things to the table. And those tend to be the partnerships that last the test of time and that can offer the business what the business actually needs. So I love that you were slow to find the right person and that you were really clear and intentional that that it wasn't smart money that you were looking for. It was passionate money. And I think that's probably what made the difference for you. I have to ask you, if you could go back and do everything over again, start from the beginning, what's one thing you would do exactly the same and one thing you might do differently? Oh, I don't know what, let me think. It's probably a good answer, what right? Might, if you don't know. Yeah, what I might do, what I might do differently. I don't know if there was anything that I would do differently. The one thing though, that yeah. today, it's not that I would do differently. Yeah. That I would do is to look for money when I had money. And I think the reason why a lot of small business owners end up with the wrong type of money when they when they bring in funding or mm -hmm. when they bring in a partner is because we get to a point where we get really desperate. We are strapped for cash. When you get to that point, you start you just figure, you know what, my values, what, what are values? I just <laughs> yeah. need a little bit of money so I don't lose this whole thing. Sure. I think for me, actually, if I honestly want to say the one thing that I would do differently, when I left corporate America, I had almost, I want to say it might be almost $500,000 in 401k. I had some cash here and there. I had um, credit cards with high limit from American Express and Discover, like all those things. That was the time for me to take a loan, even if I didn't need the money, because I was credit worthy. That, I, I have to just tell you, you're like, this is a miracle what you're saying. I have never, ever heard anybody say even something close to that. Not only in these podcasts, but in my 17 years of working with entrepreneurs and going to conferences and hosting conferences and doing workshops, nobody has ever said, Go seek out money. Go find money when you have money because then you won't be the desperate guy looking for a date and taking whatever you have to take, whatever comes in front of you because you're at the end of your rope. Go out and get money when you've got money. I love that. We're going to milk that for all it's worth, Agatha. You just gave us a gem. Yeah, I really, this is one thing. If there is a gift that I can give any and every entrepreneur. Yeah, you just did. That would be it. 
I had I had this conversation with uh, I did an article. I think this for was was for Washington Post. And even oh, Queen, now you're when just I showing them, off. <laughs> no, I swear. No, I'm teasing you. I want I'm to tell you how important no, this is share. because this is something I lived. So I used all our money. Used of that 401k. Mm. Our kids, um, five to nine, got into it. Our savings and this. By the time I, I realized that, oh, you know what? We've burned all our money, our home. We've taken equity of the home so we can put it in the business. By this time, when I went to the bank, I had nothing to show. Yeah. You couldn't get money. Yeah. Right? So that would be the one thing. The time to get money is when you have money. I love it. And then just keep it. I love it. And then just wait for it. Yes. Wow. What an amazing conversation with Agatha. I can't not wait to hear what she's got to say for the second half. Stay tuned. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty Sessions on Apple Podcast. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to launch and grow your own ventures. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Windham and music by Jordan Flower. 